Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Let's go ahead and open up to Leviticus. We're going to be in chapter 19 today. I feel so much more comfortable there. Um, last week we were in First uh, John chapter 2, and we were talking about how we do not need someone to teach us. John gives the, the believers there the assurance, you have the anointing. You want to have significant knowledge that will rest your soul. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. You need the Spirit to open your eyes of your need of a Savior, of the goodness of the gospel, and allow that to enlighten you and provide for you rest, relief, security. And I talked about how, yeah, I have a a degree or two, but, but that's really not the ultimate joy in my life. The ultimate joy and excitement in my life is that I am a believer, that I have been anointed by the anointer, and he now lives within me. The God, God lives within me. Now I want to rewind and say, I am so thankful I went to seminary because this chapter was difficult. Uh, this is the first difficult one I have found. No, I'm kidding. They've all been difficult. But this one has really, really been difficult uh, for me to just tackle. So very thankful um, in just kind of being able to lean on some of that education. Some of you probably don't need a degree in order to tackle it. I, man, I was thankful for any, any lecture I ever sat in uh, as I prepped for this sermon. So we're going to be in Leviticus 19, like I said. This is part of the book where things shift dramatically. We have seen chapters 1 through 16, roughly speaking, is cultic practice. What that really means is it's instructions for worship. So they have been given their five offerings that they are to give to Yahweh at the tabernacle. They've been shown how they are to instill their priests. And the priests are even given special, more elaborate instructions on these five offerings. We've seen the Day of Atonement, how Israel is to go forward in that day carefully as their tabernacle is cleansed. And now... Leviticus is going to be shifting to a holiness code. That is, how are we to walk before God? Not how are we to approach him in worship, but now how are we going to live before him in the day today? And let me just say something very obvious, I think hopefully obvious to you. Your theology touches the way you live. So if you live a life where you fear the Lord and you honor him and you believe his word is sacred and these laws hold weight over your life, then you live radically different than the person that comes to this thinking it's filled with stories, suggestions, or just simple, beautiful art. They're told here in this chapter specifically, 19, a very vivid ethic that is to go before them. So let's go to verse 1 and verse 2 as this chapter begins. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So remember, the book of Leviticus is not written in a corner for only the priests to know. This is given to all of the people. There's no secret witchcraft, no, no codes or systems kept from the people. This law is for all of them to know. And he has this tag, Moses or God. It feels weird saying God has this tag. But he does, of I am the Lord your God. And it pops up eight times in this chapter, helping us make some marks and designations. Now, if you're able to go ahead of me with that crayon or highlighter, I say crayon because that works best in my life. It still won't make sense to you unless you're really, really smart. I took my crayon, I, I highlighted, you know, where are these different? I am the Lord your God. And it still just baffled me. What are we doing here today? But when I was in chapter 18, we touched on that this is a reminder of God's deliverance to them. I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of Egypt. Also, I am the Lord your God is a reminder of the holy standard that they are called to. Leviticus 11.44, probably one of the most famous passages from this book. For I am the Lord your God, and you must sanctify yourselves and be holy, because I am holy. As they read this, they're reminded the Holy One is before us. As they read this, the Holy One has spoken. Let me encourage you to read your Bible in that way. The Holy One, the Creator, the Majesty on high, has written these words that you hold. This is also used as a motivation for Israel to observe the law, and it's used that way very frequently in this chapter. There are laws I'm going to set out before you. You need to be motivated. I am your authority. I am your king. I am the sovereign one. But as we go forward... We see just a bunch of laws. I, I question myself, aren't these just a bunch of throwaway verses here? So I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I came to God and a covenant relationship with him through the cross. What do I do with commands like, you shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed? I, I, I don't garden. Amber attempts that a little bit. We do great with bell peppers and tomatoes. That's not the world I live in. How serious do I take that? What about uh, you are to wear a garment of cloth? You are not to wear a garment made of two kinds of material. I'm pretty sure I'm breaking that in front of you. I don't know materials. If it's dry clean, I don't buy it. That's all I know. Uh, what about you? Do you really look at, like, is this polyester? Is this cotton? Is this, now I'm on a blank. I don't know what else there is, like silk. I don't know. I, I don't observe that law. So how, what do I do here? You should not round off the hair of your temples. I do know Leviticus tells you not to shave. I do hold to that one. And we'll get to preach that, I think, twice while we're in this book. Our disposition should be when we approach these laws is what do these laws reveal about the nature and being of God? He has spoken them. This isn't garbage. This isn't just trivia. 
These show us what he values, and then it allows us to think hermeneutically, critically, with a, a sound mind, how can I adopt some of these principles into my daily life? I will say some of these, though, we will not live out on this side of the cross, and some of these are not meant for us to do so. Some laws are completed in Christ. We're not going to make a sacrifice. That would be blasphemous. We have Christ who has been that for us. He has been the priest and what is offered. There's a, then there's other ones that deal with you know, lying, not to steal, keep sexual boundaries. We understand we, we keep those ones, but, but why do we keep those ones? They're mentioned in the New Testament. We'll get to that. And then there's some things that deal with culture. And this uh, is really fun to engage in conversation with believers because this can talk about haircuts. This can talk about tattoos. I mean, how much energy has been spent on, on how short a guy's hair should be and if you should or should not be tattooed. And parents, have fun with your kids on that one, okay? Um, but then different measurements, different weights. Like we can't observe some of these things because we are in a totally different world now. But what we find in this passage today is that Leviticus has much to say about how the law is tangible. We want to know how can we love. That's going to be a main thrust of this chapter. How can we do and follow in instructions? So it's not very ethereal or abstract. This touches on our family life. It touches on our work. It touches on who we associate with. Traveling through this passage, we will see the center of it. God is holy. He is completely other. Placing him beside the deities of Israel's day. We will see the command to love. Remember when Jesus speaks of the law and he summarizes it so well in Matthew 22? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So at the front of this, the front of our mind should be, we are to be holy and we are to love. So we're not going to summarize what's said in Matthew 22, but we're going to go step by step in a very weird way on what the Lord instructs Israel. So in verses 3 through 10, Moses points us back to the Ten Commandments, and he's going to be doing so quite a bit in this chapter. And it begins with honoring parents, keeping the Lord's day, worshiping God as he commands, and caring for the poor. Now, if you can find a way to just make that flow into a system that just makes sense, I could have used you last night. Honor parents and Sabbath, verse 3 and 4. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. So the first law presented here is the honoring of parents and you might be really young right now and you're thinking man that is an overwhelming boring monotonous law I keep hearing 
Do you know, I feel that I am still not exempt from that. I am almost 40. I'm not there yet. This still applies to me. I'm to honor my parents. I'm supposed to respect them, think well of them, assist them, show them honor. And beloved, it's really a beautiful thing to do when you do it well. Now, I will say, not all parents are equal. Some are very difficult. Some have not been consistent. Some are hard to reach. Some might be against the faith or just hard on you. Not every parent is the same. But there can be found joy in honoring them. And there will be a day where you can no longer honor them directly, but indirectly. So let me encourage you, little ones, if you have parents and you are under their home and you feel like you're under their thumb, just breathe, be patient. It might be really difficult to hear this. Love this period of time. Grow in this discipline. You, you grow in this discipline of honoring your parents, it will go well with you. Things like life, long life is promised to you from God's word. So honor it. Next, and there is the Sabbath. Woo, that's a really fun topic. So there are those within the church that believe we are still to observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. And there, there, there's orthodox positions that, yes, we do so. And then there, I would say, orthodox positions that believe that we don't. At WCC, we believe that you can hold either position. I will be transparent with you. I believe that the Sabbath has been abolished in the death and resurrection of Christ and that a new day, the Lord's Day, has inaugurated something greater that carries different characteristics about it. So you might see me cutting my grass on a Sunday. If I am wrong with that, Lord, forgive me. And I don't want to test out that theory and flaunt all my freedom in Christ, but I believe that there, this is a gray area here. And if that really upsets you, I am sorry. I'm not here to try and show you how I have a bright mind and I'm better. All I want to mention is there are two sound schools of thought with this. Then also it's mentioned at the end of verse 4 that their worship is to be far different. I do not know why it was so tempting for them to want to make something out of stone or out of metal. It's continually forbidden, and they break that law, it seems, so fast. But the Lord says, your worship of me will be far distinct and different. The principle for that, our worship should be distinct. The way in which we seek to elevate the Lord, the way we give ourselves and honor him, she looked far different than the way in which the world seeks to lift and exalt something else. Now we have laws concerning peace offering in verses eight, uh, 5 through 8. I think this is kind of an extension of how we can honor God in worship. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be, so that it, so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day you offer it or in the day after. And anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it, is eaten on, if, if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. 
and everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. So this chapter is, is given greater detail in chapter 7. We've looked at this peace offering quite a bit, honestly. Um, but what we can find here is that this offering is not to be treated as common. So it's not like I come to the Lord, I've made the sacrifices, now we have leftovers for the week. That's not how you treat the sacrifice. I tell you, I love leftovers because it is the quickest thing to clean up and it, it involves no time whatsoever for prep work. Is it exciting? No. I even love it more so when it's on a paper plate. Now six kids, do you know how awesome it is to just microwave and throw it all away? Oh, what a dream. But the sacrifice of the Lord is not to be treated as something cheap, something that you just can snack on. So it is forbidden. Then we have provisions for the neighbor in need in 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you should not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Now I think hearing that, we can think of that Old Testament book of Ruth. Remember where Ruth and Naomi come back from the land of Moab? They have nothing. They are without husbands. They are without much provision and protection. Ruth being very resourceful and following this that's instituted in the law is able to glean from fields that are not being completely pulled from. So imagine, I, I would love to see kind of the entitlement that God asks of us with our resources. So imagine you have a large field. You want to be able to store all this up, maybe even make a profit, eat well. But the law says that we are not to be greedy. But with what the Lord has blessed us with, we are to bless others. Israel's not to scream, mine. So you might not have a field. Some of you might have that precious asset called time. You're not going to give it up. Or maybe you do. And you bless those that need it. That need to see a face. Or at least get a text message that has that follow-up. Maybe you're someone that has that spiritual thing called a truck. And someone can actually use it. Thank you, Marcus. Um... Just a simple thing can be such a love for your neighbor. Well, I don't want to give it to them because, you know, maybe you have a talent. Maybe you could bless your church with something that God has just gifted you in. And eh, they might not really appreciate it. it. Takes up too much time, some expenses. I don't want the kids to dirty it up. I get that. You might have something simple and practical like extra space. Does this sound super spiritual? No. Does, does, does taking grace off a vine sound super spiritual? No. How you handle your grain, does that sound super spiritual? No. These are tangible. These are very practical things. 
One of, the, one of the practical things I love at this church, we now have a hookup for really inexpensive laundry detergent. Thank you so much. These are things that show love. These are things that show service. Think for just a moment. You are a parent. You have children. Don't you love to see when they love one another? If someone is in want, isn't it just beautiful to see? I have some kids now that have graduated to the point where they can, they can make breakfast for somebody. They can reach the top shelf and get their jammies down for them. I learned a trick from Eden on how to put down our youngest daughter when she sleeps. Eden's got it down. I'm still learning. You have resources. Use them. Bless one another. Verse 11 through 18, God's holy people are to love their neighbor by refraining from theft, exploitation, lies, oppression, mistreatment of the impaired, legal injustice or impartiality, slander, harm, hatred, and vengeance against God's people. Does this sound really warm and fuzzy right now? When you think about loving your neighbor, what picture enters into your mind? Where you're frolicking in a field, you're laughing together, you're enjoying a beautiful event, you're just having great exchanges about whatever it is you're passionate about. Know that these practical things are love and you can follow in these things today. And if you're engaging in these things, continue and press forward in this. How many people want to be dealt with dishonestly? Verse 11 and 12. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by the name of God, uh, swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So Moses keeps visiting these Ten Commandments. Steal, that's the Eighth Commandment. Lie, that is the Ninth Commandment. Profane the name of God, that is the Third Commandment. The Decalogue, this ten, is an instruction on how you can love God and love neighbor. So they are people that are not to steal. Not to look for your own gain at the loss of someone else. You are to be honest with your tongue. And with your tongue, you do not profane your Lord's name. Control that tongue. May it be sweet and not bitter in how it goes forward with your day. Now we are not to exploit one another, verses 13 through 14. I think this is an extension of the eighth commandment not to steal. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall feel your God, I am the Lord. So love here means that you are not to try and take advantage of someone. If someone has blessed you with labor, don't hold it over them, don't be stingy. Who likes to work for someone that pays late? Or that scrutinizes unfairly a job that's done and then withholds. God doesn't find it cute. 
God sees it as an injustice. Christian, your work ethic should be above reproach. Maybe you're not the boss. Maybe you work underneath someone. Do you rob them of, of, what, of, of your labor, of what you are called to do in the agreement? Are you fort with? Do you arrive on time? Do you do all of your tasks? Do they have to micromanage you and follow you and see every little thing that you do? Verse 14, this isn't just, okay, so if they're, if they're deaf or if they're blind, don't do anything. But if they fall into a different category, this is just simply, you don't taunt anyone. You don't belittle anyone. We are to be equal with one another. Beloved, that is countercultural in Moses' day. We, we now live in a culture where if you do someone wrong in certain different categories, you're the worst person on earth. So you can do certain injustices before God, but if you fall into a certain category that can be called bigoted or racist or sexist or, or whatever it might be, a, a, a phobia of any kind of category of people, you're wicked. God wants his people to love and care for one another and to not harm, not taunt each other. They are to be loving and they are to be committed to the good of another. So be committed in doing good to one another. Now we have justice in the court in verse 15 and 16. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So take no bribes, take no partiality, be fair, be just. Verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this love your neighbor is defined in terms, like I've said, that are, are tangible. And this is the most quoted verse I think Jesus uses of the Old Testament. It's one of the most well-known quotes of Jesus, at least. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. So the way to know <clears throat> if you are treating them well is to reflect, is this how I want to be treated? If someone were to do this to me, is this generous? Is this honest? Is this upfront? I know, like how, I know how I like to be treated. One of the things I love about my wife, Amber, is she knows how to care for me and love for me better than anyone else that I know. Beloved, love your neighbor. Uh, mothers, your neighbors can sometimes be really challenging. I know. Be fair to them. Be patient with them. Don't give a false account in your mind of what they did. Replay it and create it to be something else before you to justify a punishment. You want to grow in love. Be honest. 
Don't oppress the vulnerable. Do not tower over others, men. It is the meek that inherit the earth, and it is the pure of heart that behold the face of God. 19 through 37, God's people manifest the Lord's holiness by keeping ceremonial distinctions. They show respect of animals, plants, and clothing. They protect slave women from abuse and keep distinctions from the surrounding cultures. This is really interesting here. Uh, verse 19. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed. Nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made by two kinds of material. And my, my little teenage brain, when I read verse 19, thought about the liger. Do you know what a liger is? It's when the, the, this... This animal that's born from a husband, lion, and a husband. Male lion and a female tiger. The thing's massive. It's huge. Was that breaking God's law here? I don't know. I don't know. What I believe is being communicated in this section is honor the order in which God has created things. Don't mix things. Recognize the distinctions that he has placed before you. Respect it. Don't touch it. Don't create something new here. God separated light and darkness. God separated the heavens and the earth, water and dry land, day and night. So we honor the Lord's order of things. Now, there are ways in which this can be disrespected. Marriage is to be with those that complement what God has made you to be, you are not to then make it other and mix it. But we are to live pure lives underneath what he has placed before us. So we do not live in an agricultural age where all of us have these gardens. But we do live in a day and age where people like to mix things up. They like to reinvent and create. And that, that says, I don't recognize the authority of God. And that says, I can make something new in and of myself, or the culture around me can invent something new in and of itself that's interesting, and I can call that good. Don't follow in that way. Don't follow in that way. Respect the divisions. Now, verse 20 deals with lying with a slave to be betrothed. Verse 20 through 22. If a man lies sexually with a woman who is a slave... Assigned to another man and not yet ransomed him or given her freedom, a distinction shall be made. She shall not, um, they shall not be put to death because she was not free. But she shall bring, sorry, but he shall bring his compensation to the Lord, to the entrance of the tent of meeting, a ram for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the guilt offering before the Lord. For his sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven for the sin that he has committed. This is actually, this is a wow section. What do we do with this here? And I want us to pull back and see what the Lord is providing here. The most vulnerable you could be in a society is a female slave. God has a law to protect them. 
people who are not valued in court, people that can be exchanged and bought, the Lord has a law to protect them. Those who are most vulnerable, the Lord is saying, you will show dignity and respect. So what's required of a man who is to do such a thing is he is to pay a dowry to whoever it is that has watch over this woman to pay that expense. Also, this sin is done against God and they are to take a costly sacrifice to the Lord because he has been offended. It's very public. It's costly. It's not swept under the rug because it's just some other kind of citizen. No, it is dealt with appropriately. Now we have verse 23 through 25. This is allowing the maturing of trees. You've been waiting for this one. When you come into the land and plant any kind of tree for food, then you shall regard its fruit as forbidden. Uh, Three years it shall be forbidden to you. It must not be eaten. And in the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, an offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat of its fruit to increase its yield for you. I am the Lord, you're gone. So there's a possible reason that when they plant a tree, they wait this period of time so it's more productive. But honestly, I don't know if that is the full reason why they're not to touch it. What I can say is that God is saying, I am the Lord of the land. I have ownership of it. I will provide for you, but you will be in a season of waiting. Beloved, there are some prayers where you believe the Lord is maybe saying yes, but wait. There's some prayers that you have, and he's just saying, you're waiting for a while. I'm not even giving you the yes or the no. Respect his timing. Verse 26 and 28, abstain from pagan practices. You should not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair of your temple or mar the edges of your beard. Amen. You should not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourself. I am the Lord. Now we'll see, cultic prostitution is about to follow this. This really deals with the types of ways pagans worshipped their gods. So they would mark themselves. They would cut their hair in a particular way. They would brand the dead or other gods on their body. And the Lord is saying, The body I have given you, you are not to treat in this way. It is holy, it is good, and you do not wear yourself in a way that would confuse anyone for a moment that you are committed to me. So, beloved, carry yourself in a way that does not contradict the gospel. Figure that out for yourself. I'm not going to be the pastor who has a long list of how you carry yourself when you go to work or when you come into church But before your God, ask yourself, am I I emulating your glory, your goodness, the gospel? Or am I creating a distraction? So in verse 29 through 30, do not profane your daughter by making her a prostitute. Lest the land fall into prostitution and the land become full of depravity. You shall keep my Sabbaths and revere my sanctuary, I am the Lord. So you're not the prophet over your children in such a heinous way. 
Then necromancy in verse 31. Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord. So the way in which you worship affects the way in which you live and the way in which you seek to be wise. Do so in a way that is godly and that is not promoting of death or of impurity. Verse 32. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. And you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Give honor where honor is due. Those that are before you are here because they survived. They have learned something. Love the resident and alien. Verse 33. When a, sojourn, when a strange sojourner, <clears throat> sorry, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This isn't just a you shall be kind, but how does he tell them they are to love this stranger? As their self. They're not to mark them as, as, as other here. This is the highest command that he encourages us when we treat one another. And that can sound really scary. We need outsiders. We need those that are other. They're of a different mind, of a different persuasion. They might not be accepting of me. However, the Lord says we are to love others, to be kind. Verse 35 and 36 a justice in court and fair trading. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, just ephah, and a just hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. It basically comes down to be fair. Be honest. Be someone who, who is approachable because of the way in which you live your life. Christian, that should be what we are known for here. We are, we are fair. We are loving. We are transparent. And it's hard to do so, do so when people poke into our lives. And, and, and when there are needs, we have excuses to, to be busy. When there are needs, there are excuses to no longer have any more resources the Lord knows we are a needy people. And inside of his law, he spends time instructing us and reminding, teaching us what it is to love. Not the cultural idea where you are dancing in the field, but where you are there when needed. You have an opportunity to, to do this today in your home, in your family. An application I want us to go to real quick, and then we are coming near the end. First John chapter 4, if you'll turn there with me. And I promise this is going to be short. So what example should we follow in, in obeying the law? Christ's example. Always, Christ's example, 
If he has an example, follow it. 1 John 4.10 And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God so loved us. I haven't played this out theologically if I should say God is our neighbor. I'll say he is our father. But to know that Christ dwelled with us, loved us when we did not love him, dealt with us fairly and honestly, with pure hands, healed us, wept with us, loved on us, purchased us. May we be motivated by that love and fulfill the law of our Lord. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, what a love you have for your people. And Father, I thank you that you have provided for us instructions on how we can love one another. Lord, I I confess that I am distracted when I think about love and misguided often. But I thank you for passages like today that remind us love is a decision, love is an action, love is being available where there is a need. May we love you. May we love our neighbor. In doing this, may we be a representation of our Savior who loved us and died for us. We ask this in his name, amen.